Are you a healthcare organization struggling to achieve success? What if I told you that success not only depends on strategy, but also on the right mindset? At the Mindset Gap, their team of seasoned consultants understand the critical role mindset plays in achieving organizational excellence by empowering your workforce to think innovatively, embrace change, and adapt to new challenges. So imagine your workplace, one where your employees and patients thrive, where creativity and productivity go hand in hand, and where obstacles become opportunities. Don't let your organization fall into the mindset gap. Take the first step towards unlocking your potential today and email assist at themindsetgap.com with the referral code GENCAN20 to schedule a consultation. Hey everyone, welcome to the Healthcare Provider Happy Hour. I'm your host, Jennifer George, and I'm joining you this evening with a special guest. His name is Dr. Usman. He is a physician out in the UK and a sports doctor as well of rugby and boxing. He's going to share with us his journey through med school, burnout, connecting his passion with his purpose, and he'll talk to us a little bit about his podcast and his insights on the healthcare system as he sees it today. So you don't want to miss this episode. So grab your drink of choice, join us and let's chat. to the Healthcare Provider Happy Hour. This is a safe space where we invite healthcare providers to unapologetically be themselves after the working day. My name is Jennifer George, and each week I will connect you with guests and stories that will help transform your stress to success and fulfillment. Are you with me? Grab your drink of choice and let's chat. Dr. Usman. Hey, how are we doing, Jen? I'm good. How are you today? I'm good. I'm good. I'm all well. How are things over there? Things are going okay. I know for good. me, it's a little earlier in the evening than it is for you in the UK. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's quarter past 11 here, but I've, I've got tomorrow and Thursday off, so um, it, it's good. I get a lie-in, so it's, it's all good. Thank goodness. I appreciate <laughs> you being here. <laughs> no, it's all, all good. It's happy to be here. Happy to be on your show. Awesome. So we connected a while back, just both being healthcare providers. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I was listening to your podcast and I, I really liked how you kind of um, kind of talked about your journey a little bit. So we'll get into that in a moment, but yeah. I have a couple of quick rapid fire questions. Of course, <laughs> go for it. Yeah. So tell me what you're drinking right now. Um, coffee, milk and sweetener. Beautiful. nothing too nothing too extreme <laughs> okay good i'll try to keep the podcast entertaining to <laughs> in addition to the caffeine uh, can you tell us more about like who you are tell us more about you other than being a doctor um, good question um just a regular 31 year old lad um who is a doctor um 
I've got a keen interest in sports, specifically boxing. Uh, I used to box as an amateur, actually. Um, I took that up in... I mean, it's funny enough, it's weird. I mean, a couple of years before 2010, I said there's two things I wanted to do in life. Because um, I think it was, I think there was a year that I was in a bit of a slump at university, you know, as everyone does, you know, it was in my third year of uni, I was quite homesick. I was just like, I can't be bothered with this. So there's two things I said, I was like, I want to, I want to take a box in and I want to learn how to play the piano. Uh, I never did get around to playing how to play the piano because I, like yourself, uh, I'm into a lot of my uh, old old R&B music, you know, so I always wanted to learn how to play the piano and play some of that music on there. So I never did get learning to play the piano, but I got into boxing myself in 2010, uh, had a few amateur fights in 2011, and obviously since, you know, competed for a few years and then used it to keep fitness. And I did that alongside um, working as a doctor. Um, and and then since then, I just thought, you know what, incorporating sports and healthcare, I sort of seen the link um, and I went from there, really. In terms of becoming a doctor, I think it was genetic, really. My mum and dad are sort of medics. We've got a very strong, uh, you know, medic thing in the family. Um, so it went from there. I was always innately going to either be a doctor or something, you know, with the healthcare or the sort of, you know, you know, in in that sort of industry. Um, so, yeah, that, that, that's it, really. I mean, it's... So you were... So you were boxing while you were practicing or before? no so it was in medical school in my um, you know university so I started 2010 so I, was, I just finished my third year before then I was just really you know I've always been a big I'm a, you know big six foot four six foot five guy so I've always been I've always been a big guy but before then I was just really on inactive you know I didn't really work out go to the gym so getting into going from the level of fitness I was and the level of activity I was, I probably couldn't even run a mile to getting into that, you know, one of the toughest sports in the world. Um, 2010, that was, that was quite hard. Um, but I just persisted at it and, and stuck at it. And then for a couple of years, um, I, I competed during university. And then when I started practicing, it became a little bit difficult, you know, on the competitive side. So I just still kept, you know, it going for fitness Right. Um, and I still just, you know, work out now or do some of the boxing training now as a fitness point of view. Um, so when did you start practicing? Um, so I started, I qualified as a doctor in August 2014. So it's been a really, really long road, actually. Uh, I started university 2007. Um, so in, in England, you can do five, it's five years medical school, but you can do an extra year, um, you know, if you, for a master's. And... I so started 2007 halfway through this is when I started boxing I, I took a year out and did the masters yep. um I did it in it's, it's really random I did it in physiology and obs and gynae which was a bit random I yep. did it's an MPhil it's called a master's in philosophy um nice. did that for a year um uh, went back to uni did my fourth year unfortunately I failed my final year by a few percent mm -hmm. so I had to reset that and then eventually qualified in 2014 so I mean it was a really really long road in medical school Wow. And then, yeah. Wow. I love how you said, you know, not to focus on that too much, but I love how you said you just failed by a few points. And you said that so casually, like, it's very... Oh, hard. I mean, Jen, I mean, I can talk about it now, but... Yeah. I remember, I I remember at the time, I mean, I'm, I'm sure like yourself, um, you know, like, like myself, I'm sure you, you know, you're, you're a perfectionist and, you know, you work hard as well. Um, and for people who are like, you know, who work hard like myself and are very sort of goal-driven um at the time I, I remember i was destroyed I, I, it's a funny story actually so i was due to qualify june 2013 
So that was my original final year. So I thought, you know, it's good. I'd even, you know what, I'd even booked a holiday with three of my friends and we were going to go to Vegas. We, we went to Vegas to celebrate what I would think was me qualifying as a doctor. Um, and it was weird. I come back off holiday and I find out that I'd failed that exam by, you know, I failed the year by uh, a few percent. I remember I was just destroyed. Like it took, it took me at least four to five months to fully get back to normal. Um, and it was just more, it was more the irrational. I mean, to me, like, you know, people have different failures. People are feared of heights. People are feared of this, that. Um, I was always, you know, how I, how I am and how I'm driven and built. I've always been feared of failure. Um, and it's more so having those irrational thoughts. You know, when you fail at something, you think you've let other people down. You think yeah. you've let your family down, your, yeah, your friends. You know, you think they depended on you or some, somehow. And it's really irrational. And I look back now and I think, no one was really bothered except myself. Does that make sense? I'm not saying that in a bad way. 100%. And yeah, I, I was going to say, like, your family background, too, being a lot of people yeah. in medicine as well, you probably felt a bit pressured and to, to not disappoint. And Yeah, that's it. And they, they, they even said, and my parents said, like, <laughs> we failed exams before, just get back on the horse. And then you start to think, and then it goes on for, for months and months and months, and then you know, you, you, you start to, and then, you know, there was, there was a time that I was, it, this was in my final year of university, so I was going out a little bit more and, you know, indulging in, in, in stuff that I shouldn't been doing and, you know, just try to numb the pain. And, um, and then you start to think after a while, like, what are you doing? Like, it's, it's, it's just self-destructive what you're doing. And I can look back at it now and I just think, and I remember someone said at the time, you're going to look back at this in five years time. Um, and it's just going to be nothing. And it's the same with anything, you know, people who fail at things in life, people who, you know, who, who, who don't get what they want or, you know, fail at something. You look back at it and think that was just, just a small blip and it has no effect to what I'm doing now. Yeah. So, yeah, it's... Because yeah, yeah. I had failed my, um, my entry to practice written exam. My dad was sick at the time and I had spent a lot yeah. of time like my mind was not on my studying and yeah, I failed it like, just by very little too, which made it even harder to swallow. That's like, the you thing. And yeah. I'm sure you, I'm sure you had the same thing as well. And I tell people this and um, there was, there was a recent professional exam that I, I failed recently, but then I passed it quite soon after. And I tell people this, if I fail, if you fail something by a huge margin, um, it's your own fault. It's your own, you know, like if you fail it by 20 30 percent or something really stupid like if you bomb it you have yes you're sort of to blame but when you've done when you know that you've done everything you could yeah. and you fail it so smallly that's when it's demoralizing you know when you think yeah. why me um but it's all about resilience i mean it's it sounds so small to, to compared to the, the problems a lot of people have but it's about resilience at the end of the day these sort of and, and like yourself with that exam that you mentioned um and i'm sure i mean not even the exam the fact that your dad was unwell at the time that was that must have been really hard for you Absolutely. um yeah. but it's 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 um it's experiences like that which provide resilience you know resilience to human beings and it's it's no different to, to, to patients in the healthcare system as well absolutely and i and I see that now very clearly, like you said, right? It's in hindsight, it's so much more clear. And I also think it gives us purpose, like for you and I, for example, just to be sitting here and talking about this now to hopefully, to hopefully give those who are in this a similar position or worried about being in a similar position, um, the insight to see that it's not the end of the world. 
And of course, did of you, course. I was going to ask you a bit about this later, but did you at that time, though, um, Dr. Usman, you said that you kind of were self-sabotaging a bit. Um, did you at the uh, time also question your place in healthcare at that point, or did you still want to be a doctor? And no, so I didn't question my place. I thought, you know what, I've come so far. I know that I know my personality is suited to being, you know, a doctor. And I've always liked to think that I'm caring and empathetic um, and good at listening to people. But it was just more my confidence. And like, like for example, you know, when the final, you know, I'm sure in your university you've got to go in for placements and you've got to go in and. And a lot of them weren't signed and compulsory, but I just I just couldn't be bothered going in. I mean, a lot of times I just couldn't be bothered. Looking back now, there was probably a time where I was depressed, and I look back now and I think there was a long, a couple of months where I probably was um, suffering with depression and low mood, um, just because I'd struggled to just go in and get out of bed. I'd sleep till really late. I wouldn't go to bed at a normal time. Um, and I'd almost... Because where I was studying, it was in Leeds, and I'm from Liverpool, so it's about an hour and fifteen minutes away. So every weekend, I remember this every week. So in the week, I just would just stay in bed. I wouldn't do anything, um, or I'd just do little things. And then on the weekend, I'd go out with my sort of course mates, you know, or my mates on Friday night, and then I'd just drive home on Saturday. I'd look forward to the weekend. And I look back now, and I just think I, I just took that really hard. And I think it's sort of it is like it's that immaturity not immaturity in a bad way but you know you sort of um you go through life and things have to test you and you have to come out you know they, they sort of mold you sort of thing so when that does happen again you're able to handle it a little bit better yeah or help um, someone else in that position help someone else yeah and it's um but no back to your original question i mean i didn't i never thought because i was literally I, I was eight months away from potentially finishing if i passed and i never thought oh, i know but um it's weird. No, I never, I never did question. I never did question. I thought, you know, this is always my destiny and I've worked so hard to get here. And I just thought, you know, I can't, I, cause there were people that would give up, uh, you know, not give up, but drop out in the second, third year. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I just thought, you know what? I never, ever, ever Jen want to live a life where you get to later on in life and you think, what if I didn't, you know, what if, yeah. you know, I, you know, yeah. people, I should, you should never live life with regrets, you know, never, ever like, you should never think what if because that's the most that must be the most painful thing that you have thing what if i didn't what if i did yeah. you know and i you know we often talk about dying with regret right um oh man die with regret yeah. but I, I totally agree and i've always said that i've wanted to always live a life where i've lived without regret of course i die i die right but i want to live without regret every day and that's my goal too so that's interesting you, should... that you said that so thank you for yeah. sharing that. No, no. So even during that time, because you had said like you started boxing in 2010 and yeah. you went from like a zero to 180 over time, like fitness wise. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That all went by the wayside too for a bit. Yes, you definitely. hundred percent. So there, I mean your passions there. I just gave I just couldn't be bothered. Um so I remember um I it, it was to the point where I'd been selected for um, the university english university championships in january 2013 so this was in the first time i was in my final year um i was boxing and then i remember i found out i failed in i must have been june july 2013 and then from there i just had like it slowly started to go the passion um and i only started to pick myself up probably like seven eight months you know later on from there but yeah i mean it was i mean looking back it was sort of typical signs of 
of, of depression, you know, struggling to do the things you normally enjoy, yeah. you know, low mood, low motivation. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's what I was, but it wasn't even a big deal to what a lot of people have to go through and stuff. And, and you see it, and I'm sure you see it, you know, working as a physio, yeah. um, how, how mental health is such, such a big thing and it can impact on the physical health as well. And it impacts on relationships, you know, people, interpersonal relationships as well. Absolutely. So, yeah. And that's like kind of the core of life is your health and relationships when you think about it, right? And, you know, with physio, I've always felt like there was a bit of a disconnect because not, not so much in our training and our practice, because yeah. we do a pretty good job at looking at the whole biopsychosocial model and taking that yeah. into consideration when you're working with patients. But I find yeah. when patients come to me, um, you know, the expectation is a physical um, healing only, right? And you just have to yeah. tap into all of it, like you said, in order for it all to come together. So what, what pulled you through specifically during that time? You kind of said, like, I just, you know, this is what I want to do. Like, you knew that for sure. Um, um, you didn't want to die with regret. Like, what <laughs> I got you um, I think it was the closer I got to that, to resit in that exam, you know, because yeah. the worst months were probably from August till uh, January, February. And then from then on, from February, March, I think, listen, the exam's coming in May and June. I need to turn the heat up here. And it was just more the motivation. I was like, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to get chucked out of medical school or have all this wasted. And I want to work as a doctor and I want to make things, I want to make the right wrong. And it was just time, really. Like, there's only so much time you can feel sorry for yourself and, and being a rut. And time heals all wounds, you know. So it started to come together, really. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, it was from, from then on in. But, um, yeah. Well, I'm glad you pulled through that. And one no, of the things you. that people I'm noticing, especially now in chatting with healthcare providers now, is that we have a hard time being with ourselves and our feelings and emotions. And of I know course, it didn't feel great then, but you allowed yourself to go through it until whether it was a timeline, like you said, that gave you that of motivational course. spark. But at least you knew what you wanted. And no, I of course, and it's and it's interesting, and it's interesting you say that as well. Healthcare professionals, it's so um, it happens often, but also you know, without sounding sexist, well, you know, it's so much. You know, we find it with men and women as well. It seems like you know, females, and I've seen it with a lot of patients and colleagues. They're, they're so much better at you know being able to talk about their emotions and their feelings and being de- able to deal with mental health problems. It seems. And it's getting better now, but there is still an issue with a lot of males, you know, middle-aged males, young males, talking about their feelings, you know, when they are stressed. Um, Because you'll still see a lot of them, you know, try to drink away their issues, take drugs, um, you know, Mm -hmm. self-prescribe. And it's still, still a massive issue. I mean, it's getting a little bit better now, but I think generally it's, yeah. Do you, what do you do in those circumstances? Cause you're a male as well. So I feel like, you know, from one male uh, to another, it would be maybe a little bit easier for. for yeah. So, I mean, for myself, I mean, for myself, it's about, um, it's about identifying the triggers really. And there have been times where I've been working as a doctor where I've been stressed plenty of times. Um, for me, like it's about identifying, and we, you know, you bri- I'm sure you're going to briefly touch upon it about, you know, burnout and, and, and stress at work but it's about identifying the triggers really um 
and knowing the triggers is one and being able to talk to a select for me like i i'll try get things off my chest to my wife uh or there's certain groups of friends you know there's certain members of my friend group um who i'd go to if i'm feeling you know stressed i mean low or stressed to me i never suffered with anxiety i mean some people will suffer really bad with anxiety anxiety was never a thing with me you know when you have the feel of overwhelmment overwhelming or having palpitations mm-hmm. for me it's the other way you know it's feeling low and then because you're low you'll overeat um so it, it, things work differently yeah. for, for, for my mental health so whenever i've, I've been I've, yeah it's about talking to someone and even if it's even if you just don't feel comfortable talking to them face to face just drafting out a big long text message um any way of writing you know and i've, I've spoke to different people you know i have people on my podcast and stuff any way of writing your emotions down, even if it's even if you're texting someone, putting it on your phone notepad, doing that for five, ten minutes, yeah. getting that because you know, one side of your brain works in a creative way and you're getting those feelings off your chest essentially. Yeah. Um yeah, it's essentially expressing them through written or verbal, a verbal way. So yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. I'm I'm a big fan of written. Um yeah. Written written stress relief or, or just documenting, journaling, reflecting, I often find super helpful um, in just not judging it. Right. Just writing whatever comes to mind and heart. And then like you said, you can just save it to your notepad. Nobody really needs to see it or you can send it as a text to somebody um, that, you know, would support you or or help you through what you wanted. Wow. So right now, Dr. Espen, you practice sport medicine, right? You're a rugby doctor and a boxing doctor. And I think that's pretty cool because you kind of told us how you started with a passion for wanting to box and you did that, got through medical school eventually. And when did you kind of bring the two together? At what point in your practice? Yeah. So, I mean, it's a good question. So my, my main job now is I'm a family medicine doctor, which we call a GP over here. It's called a family medicine over there. Um, so funny enough, I always, during medical school, um, despite me having this passion for sports, strangely enough, I always wanted to go into elderly medicine, geriatrics. Um, I, I, there was something about, I mean, I've always had a fondness for old people. Um, so there was something about me treating the elderly that I found really rewarding, you know, as a doctor, because essentially they're the people who are truly, truly sick. You know, the elderly population, numerous comorbidities, frailty. I just found that really, really rewarding. But I had this passion for sports and it was only until um, my second year of junior doctor training, I think I I was doing a rotation as a, um, as a, a family, in a family medicine practice and my supervisor, um, I think I mentioned like, that I play, you know, I play sports. I'm avid, bo- I'm a keen boxer, and I like to keep fit. Um, and he said, "Oh, have you ever thought about, you know, working as a sports doctor? You know, working in sports?" I was like, "What? What does that involve?" And he was like, "Well, I can. I don't. I don't know much about it myself, but my um, my colleague is one of the team doctors for the Everton Football Club, the academy, the the, the youth squad for Everton, uh, which is an English uh, football club. Um, so I shadowed him." found out a little bit more about you know what you have to do what it involves um and it went from there really i just started building up you know experience shadowing different people and my first thing working as a doctor was working um ringside at different amateur boxing events you know working as the ringside doctor and especially with sort of boxing it's very 
head injury centered, very concussion centered, yeah. neurolog- you know, neurology. Um, and then from, I work, I've, I've done, that's the sport I've done the longest. I've worked there since 2015. And then I worked, funnily enough, the same job that I shadowed him, I got that same job. So I worked for the women's squad for Everton for a season in soccer and football. Um, didn't particularly enjoy that because, again, it was that job, that the medical sort of aspect there seemed very physio-led. Um, you know, it was very physio-led, you know, musculoskeletal injuries. There was little for a doctor to do. Right. And then it was only a year later that I sort of stumbled into rugby. And again, very similar to boxing. It's m- very much like American football, you know, rugby. Um, very head injury, concussion. And that's the, that's, I found that niche with my sport, you know, that I enjoy the, the head injury aspect, the, thing, the concussion aspect, because it's not only the, you know, you see with, with head injury victims, um, it's not only the physical health, it's the mental health as well. It can, you know, um, working, you know, head injury and sort of concussions and taking blows to the head can affect the mental health of a patient, you know, the, how agitated they are, you know, the mood changes and whatnot. So it's gone from there really. And then I use, I still use that bit in my family medicine thing to try and encourage increased activity in patients. And I started to slowly discover the link between um, staying active and an improved health. And that's the theme, the basis, the backbone of my podcast, really. Yeah, which is awesome. I find you just have so many just interesting topics that are so relevant. Yeah. <laughs> today's like headlines or whether it's yeah health and uh, burnout or stress related um, yeah yeah I think it's so cool how you're tying it all in together Definitely. Um, so tell us a little bit more about movement and self-care I think sometimes you know I'm, I'm a big self-care like freak <laughs> but not like in the typical way that I think sometimes it's stereotyped to be like I think from you know from what I see and read or hear is when people think of self-care they I find they think of it as like a a burden a task it's no time for it um they they're doing it for like maybe a a purpose of just you know weight loss for example and not thinking deeper as to why they're really doing it and what and I believe that's what ultimately sustains them um so like where where does because obviously that's how it is for you in movement and sports um, yeah how it was with boxing so can you tell me kind of like how you believe like movement for healthcare providers specifically can help them manage burnout stress but also um enhance their well-being and their self-preservation in a way very very important um not only from a physical point of view from a mental health point of view as well so i mean for a lot of a lot of healthcare providers you know it's it's not only you know doctors nurses physios it's it's everyone working in the hospital it's a really stressful job uh, especially at the moment so coming home and you know even if it's between you know t- having three to five days a week of doing some form of ex- activity um because i was reading you know we're, we're really encouraged to do 150 minutes of moderate exercise a week or 75 minutes of vigorous exercise a week and when i say moderate exercise you should be doing exercise it should be to the point where if you had someone next to you you can still talk to them or you can sing a song um so that's 150 minutes of exercise a week uh and then the vigorous is obviously getting your heart rate up that you you couldn't talk to them so perhaps going on a run or sprinting or doing something quite vigorous and i always say that it's not it's exercise is not one fits all 
You know, it's not a one size fits all. You don't have to run a marathon. You don't have to box. You don't have to cycle. If you enjoy dancing, dance. If you enjoy gardening, garden, any form of activity. Um, and there has been benefits, you know, not only from a mental health point in, in, in terms of depression, but the physical aspects as well, reducing cardiovascular um, problems, lowering your cholesterol, lowering the chance of diabetes. Also arthritis as well. Arthritis is a big, big thing. Um, and I always say with patients who come in with osteoarthritis, um, which is very, very common, you know, in uh, middle-aged and elderly population, your only way of improving that and the management for that is increased activity. Um, and not only that, Jen, um, we, we see a lot of issues, and you, you'll see this a lot as a physio, and I'd love to get your, you know, perhaps we can talk about it on, on my podcast. You see, I mean, I, I suffer, I haven't suffered in a, in a couple of months actually, but during my training, I'll suffer a lot with lower back pain. Um, and that might be myself due to you know having poor form when I do something or not not warming up and not doing the mobility exercises because you know at times I'm quite lazy. Uh, but you see it a lot with healthcare providers, you know, um, yes. back pain issues, knee problems, uh, neck problems, shoulder problems, uh, and this is all from them working. And you just think with some activity in your life, you know, perhaps mobility exercises, physio exercises, you could be improving that, and you can you, you could be improving that and not relying on some of the medication out there, like codeine, opiate-based stuff. and mm -hmm. Or the passive treatments. Yeah, yeah. Even just, yeah, passively going to massage or like massage, getting a lot of the yeah. manual therapies alone, right? I, see I don't understand stuff. this. I, I don't, yeah. I, and you, you, you as, you know, experienced physio, what is a massage going to do? What is manual therapy going to do? It's going to keep happening. Right. And it's all about prevent, it's about prevention um, rather than treatment, I found with these injuries, you want to prevent it happening. That's you know, about especially with the hands-on, right? Is it really preventative, yes. or just reacting and treating? Because I know when I've had sessions, it's mostly been reacting, for sure. Yeah, you've made me think yeah. about that. But I'm always moving, thinking preventatively, for sure. Of course, of course. Um, yeah. So, what do you say, though, uh, Doctor Usman, to the healthcare provider who comes to you? in your clinic and sees yeah. you and says, you know, like I have no time. Like I'm a busy nurse. Like I have a family, you know, I, I work and then I'm home and I have to take care of my kids. Like, what do you say to that person who's struggling? Very, 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 very good question. I like that question. Um, it's about, so I touched upon it in one of my podcast, my first podcast, which is called be active. It's yeah. about sitting down with, and it's hard because we have 10 minutes, um, in our appointment slot so perhaps bringing them in for another appointment but it's it's about exploring it's again it, it takes us down to the trans theoretical model of change and how much you want to change you know there's different um method you know there's different stages of change there's pre-contemplation contemplation uh putting into action and maintenance so when you get that line i, I don't have time it's about exploring with them well you know okay well, let's go through your day what is it you know where does where is your time distributed you work here you look after the kids you do this you know you plot you almost sit down with them and you go through their day and, and what they do on the weekday and the weekend and then it's about an, another good thing i've i've tried to employ is okay where can you see yourself um you know say for example five years what are the pros and cons of what you're doing currently if that makes sense of the lifestyle you're living currently what are the pros and cons Okay. And then if we flip that, if we, on the alternative, if we increase the activity, what can you see the pros and cons of that being, um, you know, and 
that's almost a good way of angling it to someone who just doesn't want to change at that point. But then again, you can take a water, you know, you can take an elephant to the water, but you can't make him drink it. So if someone just doesn't want to change, they don't want to change. You can provide them the resources. You can say to them, listen, we can talk through your day. You can tell me about what, what you see the benefits are of becoming more active, but someone doesn't want to change. You can provide the information, but it's about letting them, be and giving them you know almost giving them bite size you know spoon feeding them every time you see them because you might make that change one day something might go off in the head one day um whether it's a life scare whether it's they're putting on weight whether it's they've had you know i don't know like a health care in hospital whether it's an injury something will 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 you know will motivate them to do to make to make a change um and it's not only about activity it could be sort of quitting alcohol quitting smoking quitting drugs um anything really and it's about the, how they how much they want to change but yeah there's only so much you can do i mean from what i've learned i mean something i start when i started when i was a, a younger uh, immature doctor i'd just be like oh you need to exercise yeah. um, exercise is really important you're gonna die not that to that extreme and they just they just shut you off the patients think, well i'm not gonna come see you again you're just gonna be patronized because the thing is the healthcare provider and everyone who comes and sees you knows they need to exercise more knows they need to stop drinking knows they need to stop you know give up these habits they all know this you and me know this like we we know ourselves how we can be better you have to be an idiot to not know to have insight but life circumstances are stopping them from doing that you know whether it's the influences they have around them whether it's the limitations whether it's knowledge as well there's a lot of things and it's about dealing with it really sensitively i found because turning around and saying to that busy healthcare provider because you're a healthcare provider yourself you know, you should exercise more. It's not really, they, they know that. Yeah, exactly. And they do know that. And I think that's a lot of where the frustration is because yeah. it makes them feel a bit unfit sometimes because of course, of course. they're so knowledgeable in, in most cases, but it's of everything course. else maybe that might be limiting them. And I love what you said about sitting with them, going through their day, um, because it's not just about, like you said, just saying what to do. It's about being with them through that journey. So like you said, if it takes a few visits for them to come in and you just keep dripping and talking about it, you know, that, that person might come back one day and just say like, thank you for not giving up. Right. Like, thank you for, for just being gently persuasive or, you know, for seeing um, the potential or whatever it might've been. Right. Um, And I found that it, it might take them, uh, um, them to find out they've got diabetes or it might take them them to find out they've got a high cholesterol to make to want to make that change but it might not do they might not be ready to they might still tell themselves what i'm doing fine i can just change this or change that um but it's really difficult and it's not only that it's you know myself yourself i'm sure we've got things that we think well we could be doing this better you know we could be doing that better um there's a lot of things that it's human nature you think well uh, you know it's it's almost be conflicted in your head but again it's the difficulty with with that with treating another healthcare provider they're very knowledgeable like yourself so almost they'll you know if they come in with 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 again with lower back pain ongoing lower back pain they'll ask for medication or they might ask for a scan and i think well you can get that but what is a scan going to tell you? I mean, yep. unless you've fallen down a flight of stairs, stairs and there's been a, fr- a, a crushed vertebra that you might need an operation on, the scan isn't going to change the management. And the management for all 
musculoskeletal issues is being active is doing the specific physio based exercises yes um um and and i don't know i just think that patients want to be seen that you need to be doing something for them but when it a lot of times it's it's what they can do themselves um and it's not only the 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 shoulder pain the back pain and the the you know it's other stuff like headaches as well head migraines indigestion there's a lot of things that we can do as clinicians but there's a lot of things they can do you know avoiding certain triggers avoiding food avoiding certain drinks which make those symptoms worse um yeah it it's it goes hand in hand yeah that empowering right like it's it's hard to help someone empower themselves to change when really like you said movement for example is like a form of medicine that you could use at any time it's at your disposal and yet a lot of people don't do it enough and i think we underestimate how much we are active to be honest with you just because we work in active professions right Um, that we think that that's that's active enough or that we're just too tired or whatever it might be that you're you know tell ourselves um, but a lot of it is, I, I do believe like just, um, just that compassionate guidance. Like I remember working, a, especially with a lot of, uh, patients who had chronic persistent pain, same thing yeah. you said, like I would be treating somebody a year post injury for low back yeah. pain with no red or yellow, uh, flags or anything. And they were still like, they were literally on disability because of it. And I was, I was floored by that. Um, and, yeah. it, but it took, it, it wasn't even about the pain at that point, even though for them it was like, that's what, how it was manifesting, but it was literally yeah. like going through a diary together of their day yes, yeah. um, and just kind of reassuring them too um, of no further harm being caused. And I think that's a big part too, is the fear, yeah. of the unknown and the uncertainty around it. So all it takes is a few encouraging words sometimes that go a long way from from a healthcare provider even if it's one healthcare provider to another um, of course and it's no. interesting you say that as well um again with back pain and you know fibromyalgia um it comes to a certain point where that physical pain is that that but it won't like the patient you mentioned i can guarantee you it won't be her back pain that's causing that it will be a lot of the mental health absolutely the, you know, driving everything yeah. um it's, it's the same thing with fibromyalgia as well and these a lot of the thing is, yeah, there might be a physical stimulus, but a lot of the things is the mental health and, you know, the psychological aspects as well. Um, and the perception of pain and how you deal with that pain and everything like that. Um, so, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. It's, I could talk all day about this stuff, <laughs> about chronic <laughs> and persistent pain as well as burnout. Um, so Dr. Osman, you shared a point in your schooling where you were burnt out. Have you, as now a practicing GP, have you yeah. have you experienced like even moments of burnout or? A yeah, of course, a, a lot of times, um, and it can happen day to day. Sometimes, you know, when you just think, um, uh, you know, when you think, you know, I'm going to get through this busy day, and before you know it you haven't had your lunch, your lunch, you know, having your lunch at 3 p.m. Yeah. and you just walk through the day. But it, it's, it's difficult as a, as a healthcare professional because when you're burning out and you're starting to get stressed, it'll impact other people, like your relationship with your colleagues, you know, interaction with patients. And it's important to know the signs. For, for me, I, it goes two ways. Either I start to become very agitated and, I, you know, snappy at work or when it gets really bad, 
I become quite vacant and, you know, like uh, careless, you know, especially in the, in the GP office, you know, with paperwork and whatnot. So yeah. it is about identifying those signs really. And, um, you know, like even little stuff, like you can just think I need, I need, you know, if, if you've got any annual leave coming, booking to manual leave thinking, you know, it's just thinking what, how can, what can I do to you know relax myself later on, whether it's going home, putting some music on. So it's a, it's about identifying the signs and then identifying what, what you're going to do about it. So you're at the point now where you can identify the signs for yourself. I, I'd like to think so. Yeah. I'd like to think so. Um, and yeah, cause, and it's about, again, it's about over, you know, the more you work, um, the more you overwork yourself as well, the easier it comes on. Yeah. So, so having maybe the flexibility in your scheduling and that type of thing, I've always felt like that's a big part of it too. Like if yeah. people had more autonomy um, with their, yeah, with managing their caseloads, it would hugely yeah. help burnout. So tell me, do you believe that um, burnout is possible for all healthcare providers? Some people don't think that it is. What do you 100%, 100%, 100%, 100%. Um, and not only healthcare provided for anyone, really. Anyone is susceptible to burnout. Anyone is susceptible to stress at work. Um, anyone and everyone, to be honest. I mean, anyone who says says that it's it's never it can't happen to them is is it's probably not working hard enough. <laughs> <laughs> I totally agree. <laughs> probably not work. I mean, it's like you know, it's it's very, very common for people who like you, me and yourself, who work very hard, who are dedicated to the job. Um, it, uh, yeah. And that's, I think you, you take a lot of, you take more work on that you need to, you think you can get through a lot of it. Um, it's, it, 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 and then, you know, sometimes you don't want to ask for help. You'd rather not delegate your work. You'd rather just do it all yourself. Yeah. Um, and then it impacts on you as well. Yeah, I can totally relate to everything you just said there. Yeah. Um, so then tell me, like, what do you do? So you have your own podcast as well. So you're like I a, do. you're a GP, you're a sports doctor. Um, yeah. So what do you do? Like, how do you do it all? How do you fit it all in? Like, what are your it, favorite self-care tips or? Um, uh, it's difficult. It's difficult. Um, I mean, for me, I'd always try train between three and five days a week um so doing some home exercise you know because i mean it's difficult now because the gyms are shut but you know doing some circuit training or doing some form of exercise three to five days a week um a big thing for me um you know when you know when i'm by myself is music music de-stresses me um i've always been a big 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 music fan so just even being by myself listening to music looking on youtube just just taking that time out by yourself um uh, perhaps after a long day um because sometimes when you've had and, and i was reading a study on this actually uh, and i mentioned it in my podcast sometimes when you have had a very very busy day you know in the hospital or in your gp practice or wherever you work sometimes it's not productive to go to the gym straight away i mean you can go and do something light but essentially your body's stress hormones cortisol will be quite high so putting your body through a very strenuous exercise, a strenuous form of activity straight after work uh, or straight after a time when you've been exhausted, it's probably not pro uh, productive. So doing something light, you know, like a light, a walk or something, something to the point where it's moderate, moderate to mild exercise. 
Um, but for me, yeah, making sure I train three to five days a week. Um, uh, music as well. Just a, a big thing for me, and I've always done this, I try not to work um, Friday nights uh, and Saturday nights. I try to give that time off for myself or my wife. Um, I mean, the podcast, I've only started the podcast May the 1st. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, we're about 17 episodes in that's that's difficult that's really time consuming that's that's a lot of episodes it's a lot and it's how many and are it's, averaging a week it's <laughs> it's getting <laughs> to the point now where i did three last week it's it's about two minimum two yeah. uh but it's 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 a bit easier now because because of the lockdown a lot of the sports games have been stopped you know so i don't have to go and work the boxing matches and the rugby matches um so it's given me a lot more time, but when that all kicks off, which it might not be for a few months now, we're getting full crowds and stuff like that. Um, it will get difficult. I think I'll have to just do one episode a week, uh, but it's, 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 it's time consuming and you'll know yourself as well with the podcast, sitting down, editing the audio, sitting there for as long as you've had the, the guest on, you yeah. have to sit there and listen to that podcast and make tweaks to it and do the artwork, promote it on social media. Um, and But then again, I, I say that I, I, I've always, it's funny enough, I mean, this, this is taking off a tangent here, I always ha- I've always had this inquisitive mind. You know, I've always liked talking to people and asking people questions. Funny enough, between the ages of 15 and 19 years old, I was doing music journalism, you know, at school. You know, I, I was writing for online music magazines, you know, a lot of these R&B and hip-hop online music magazines. Yeah. And I interviewed a few artists. So I always had that sort of journalism aspects um so i wanted to get into the podcast thing but i think when you get into something like like podcasting you know where you're not getting paid for it you're just doing it because you love it you know um you should if you if you're thinking about how many followers up because this is something my wife and my friends have told me when i started never ever think about how many followers you can get or advertisements and stuff because if you're doing like that you're going to give up after a while because it's not going to come you have to trust and love the process mm-hmm. and then soon enough you know, the more you do it, the more you do it, the more you do it. Hopefully that hard work will pay off because yeah. you find a lot of people with the podcast world, with whatever, you know, they're doing, they'll do it for the wrong reasons. And then when it's not giving them the results they want after four to five weeks or four to five episodes or whatever, they'll just give it up. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 They drop off kind of quick. People don't realize the investment. It still of takes course. even just the energy it takes. Like we're doing this on top of our full-time careers, <laughs> you know, like, and there's a difference between those that can do that and those that, that can't. Um, and I course. think a lot of it has to do with our awareness, I think is a big part of yeah. self-awareness and going through our own yeah. struggles um, along the way at some point in our life to be more resilient and then yeah. share that, I think. So I really hope when you go back full, full force that, you know, you're able to at least put out an episode a week because your branding and everything is really cool. So I want you, I hope you you keep with it. (laughs) (laughs) I hope you keep with it. So what is your, like, what are your words of inspiration right now for healthcare providers who might be struggling with burnout to help them through? Um, That's a good question. Um, Especially with everything going on as well with COVID. um, You have to talk to people. You have to talk to someone um whether it's a wife a husband um a family member you know you have to talk to that person there's no listen listen there's no shame 
and you taking time off work and taking time away from things because you, you know at the end of the day you're not a robot mm-hmm. no one owns you um and you need to think about your health at the first foremost you know so talking to a family member talking to a spouse talking to a friend and then if you feel listen i can't go to work um for the rest of the week or i need some time off don't ever think that you're going to be letting anyone down letting the nurses or the doctors or the other physios or the other um healthcare staff down at work you, you're not you know they can find replacements it's not like you own the hospital yeah. um you need to think about yourself and don't ever think that you know oh I, i'm going to stay because they're not going to be thinking that no one else is going to be thinking that yeah. um yeah. you know and it's it, that will be the common thinking you know someone like myself and yourself who work really hard you know you'll think oh you know what about my colleagues because you know it's, it's a teamwork but you have to think about yourself and often just you know and then that's often taking that time off when you are off work just just appreciating the small things like being able to self-care going on walks just watching tv listening to music getting your head back together reflecting as well on you know why did i burn out what happened um just writing down what got to me um what affected me uh, and then from there on in you you can deal with that a little bit better because at the end of the day dealing with dealing with issues your mental health issues it's about identifying the triggers and identifying how you can improve on things in the future you know yeah and i think that's i i've always felt that a big source of burnout is suppression of expression so it's like just not dealing with anything and just continuing and becoming complacent till you hit a complete wall and that doesn't sustain you right and then you're forced to deal with it rather than dealing with it as it comes. And um, I, I still think, yeah, there's a stigma there around healthcare providers, just you know, being okay with, with getting help or being okay with talking to somebody or just even reflecting themselves quietly. Um, of course. You know, because we, we have to have it together. And you know, that's just the expectation. Mm-hmm. and it must be the same with not only healthcare providers it must be the same with uh, police officers as well firefighters um especially with everything going on at the moment with yeah. the protests and the riots i can imagine it must be you know for the police officers having to <laughs> to, yeah. to control some of the crowds and stuff i mean it's not it's that's a whole different matter but to control some of those crowds it must be quite stressful for them you know some of the the poor police officers that have to work as riot police um in some parts of california and when there have been riots and stuff it must it must have a detrimental effect on their mental well-being as well so yeah it's 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 everyone really especially with the healthcare providers with covid and especially with the riots and the, you know, with the police yeah. it, it must be quite difficult yeah and i think if we can all empathize with each yeah. other i think that's a big factor like i know that um, if it like if I had to go off, I feel like I work with a team that would be totally supportive of that, and I feel of like course. I would want them to do the same if they needed that time off, right? Like or whatever yeah, it was that they needed to better their well-being, mm. because it's only going to help everybody. You know, it's not yeah. coming from a selfish place; it's actually coming from a very selfless one. I think when you of course address those issues as much as you can, of course, and we should all support each other as well. This should, you know, that's that's really really important. We're all here for a common cause and that common cause is to treat patients you know um i i mean i've always been someone that 
you know, you, I'm sure you've come across your fair share of doctors and nurses who aren't very, you know, helpful, to, you know, receptive to working as a team and being very condescending. But I've always been with, I've always, something I've always been taught growing up and that's something I'm going to teach my kids is you should treat everyone the way you expect to be treated. You know, you treat everyone with respect. If, you know, you, you talk to a binman the same way you talk to a CEO. At the end of the day, whatever you do, it doesn't make a difference. We're all human beings at the end of the day. And especially, no more so in the healthcare system, everyone needs everyone. You know, you will need a porter. You know, you can't do everything yourself. You can't push a patient down to the x-ray. You can't, you'll need to work with a porter. You'll need the physio, a nurse. Everyone in that team is as important as the next person. Um, and that's the beauty of healthcare thing. And no one is more important than anyone else. Yeah. Um, receptionists, porters, the admin team, um, doctors, nurses. It's everyone brings a piece of that puzzle, you know, because without, for example, without you guys, um, stroke victims, wouldn't, what, they, they wouldn't be able to mobilize. They wouldn't, you know, they, you know, stroke victims, uh, neuro victims, um, anything really uh, without the porters, you know, they can't get down. So it's everyone works together sort of thing. And it just annoys me. That's another thing as well. When I, when I worked at, when I did my training in hospital, it, it really annoys me when, um, when you see, other certain healthcare professionals disrespect or condescend others. And I typically see it, and I'd be ashamed to say this, I typically see it from more senior doctors to nurses or senior doctors to other, you know, other members of the multidisciplinary team. And it would be really embarrassing to, to, to witness, to be honest. And I don't know why they do it. Yeah. I, and sometimes I, I don't know if they're, if they're intentionally aware of it. Or if that's I, just the stress I, that they're dealing with that they're projecting the on I, someone else. I, I don't I, know. I've really tried over the years to be really empathetic um, towards yeah. um, condescending physicians. I remember when I was first practicing, I had a physician yeah. call me. I was working in the hospital and I was the only therapist in the whole hospital. There was like 200 patients or something. And I remember he called me and yelled at me because I had not yet seen someone and um yeah i just i and i was like i'm the only therapist like you know yeah. like instead of just saying you know i know you're the only therapist can you can you see this person it's urgent yeah. you know what i mean there's a, of course. a, I mean, a I, compassionate way <laughs> of course and i'd often in that situation i'd be like listen jen i can see you're really busy and if there's anything i can do to help with your workload but this patient's quite sick is there any way you can do you know chest physio or stuff like that but the way that you that that you, that you spoke, to, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's a really good point. I don't know whether they're aware of it or whether it's, especially with the like you mentioned, the physicians, the the, the senior doctors. I don't know whether it's an ego trip or some sort of. I, I don't know, and that's the thing that really annoys me. And I'm hoping um, it's something that really dies out over the years because everyone needs to work together with everyone. Everyone's without i'm sorry you're without everyone else's job you would not be able to get anywhere that patient would would not be would that patient would stay in the hospital bed without the help of other other members of the team um i, so, yeah. I agree i feel like we are the eyes and ears for physicians because they, you guys are just so busy like we can't you can't be there you can't have your eyes on every single patient at every of moment course. of the day where i get to spend you know with yeah. my baseload i get to spend an hour with them a day at least so i can see them day to day and so thankfully where I'm at now, I find um, 
the input is more appreciated and, and more accepted. But I've seen it even in long-term care homes too, where I've seen it where, you know, it's a bit condescending at times. Um, yeah, you know, I, or maybe I'm just handling it different, right? Like it could be no, my perception of it. I think, too. I think you're right. I think you're right. I mean, it's just, I mean, to be honest, I, I'd love to like without without the physio's input, that patient will stay in the hospital bed and won't go anywhere. So I don't know what else. You know, when when you get these physicians that talk like this, to, to, or nursing staff, when you see other, the elder physicians talk like this to some of the nursing staff, I'm sorry, you couldn't do some of their jobs. You know, you don't have enough time. So it's it's just like it's yeah I, I don't know what the culture is like over in in canada um and i'm sure you've had it but there are a lot of times you know especially in busy settings where there is not a lot of you know there's not a lot of harmony you know, there's, there's a lot of disharmony you know among teams and people should be working together a lot better than than i feel they should really you know completely agree and the only person who ends up suffering is the patient and that's the what patient the, the patient most. patient yeah. the patient's family um if you're gonna if you're gonna kick your heels and drag and be difficult well it's the it's the it's the patient's care that's getting compromised it's the patient having their medication prescribed or it's the patient i don't know um like as i'm sure you've jen i'm sure you've had times where what ward what 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 aspect what what speciality do you work in sorry what ward do you work on i, I work on an inpatient rehab unit so i i on see the, mix of neuro ortho even just complex. okay so yeah. i'm sure i'm sure jen there's been a lot of times where you've seen patients um and for example they're getting a little bit more unwell under your care and you think oh is, is there an element of aspiration pneumonia here or do they have an infection or do they have a water infection or something that you you're, you're noting and you might you might bring it up with the physician or the doctor and they'd be like no no they're fine they're fine they're medically fit for discharge just keep doing your thing and you think well they're not i'd like you to review them uh, because i'm worried um and then you know when they're dismissive oh no 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 you know i've seen that a lot between you know doctors and physios or yep. doctors and nurses you know oh i'm too busy they, they look all right i saw them this morning well, i was like well they're not and that that level of obstruction that love that difficulty is going to impact the patient because they're going to get more unwell and then before you know it they're septic or yeah. Yeah. you know and that happens you know like often that happens very often because another thing too i'm noticing i don't know if it's the same in the uk but our yeah. uh, patient caseloads like in hospital lately have been very chronic ongoing needs not not so much acute yeah. and it could be because of the pandemic and yeah. You know, things from an acute standpoint have been put on hold, right? Like surgery, yeah, yeah. like that, that are not urgent. But yeah. I'm noticing a lot of chronic needs now. So there's more complexities, comorbidities, and anything could could go wrong, right? Like it's just, it, it, you know, something can change overnight, and of that's course. what I'm noticing now. And that's where I think we are, like your allied health staff, your nursing staff, like yeah. you know, that's where we are super valuable. Um, yeah. and like you said it's just kind of getting the, the right attention um so that the patient doesn't suffer so you know i'm I'm grateful i've been there for seven years and i find that we work well yeah. as a team but it's not like that everywhere and that's part of the reason no, of why course. i've been there so long because it, and, an, you know, it and another thing as well i mean you've i would talk i'm talking a lot about doctors here and slate and them <laughs> has been myself but you find it as well with newly qualified young doctors that come straight out of med school into work yeah. They carry this thing like they know it all um, and they won't want to listen to a lot of the nurses, physios, other healthcare staff that have been there twice as, that, that have been 
working working as long as they've been alive that the young dogs have been alive and that's the thing like you have to put your ego aside you don't know more you know they, it's yeah so I've it's interesting you, videos too sorry i've seen that overconfidence and and um arrogance of it and physio that's embarrassing yeah I've, yeah i mean I've, I've i've seen that yeah i mean it's i, I don't I, I don't why does that happen like I don't know, but I do, I have the, like the insight to feel like that can create, you know, a greater risk for error when you think you know everything, right? So of it's, course, yeah. you know, and it's, sometimes it's not until you're, you've experienced something, right? Yeah. Unfortunately, or something's happened. It slows um, you down, yeah. slows you down, yeah. Or that makes you pay more attention or makes you realize, you know, where you're, you know, where your valuable um, team can help, right? Uh, I think healthcare is definitely not, I've, and I've said this in my book that it's, you know, that quote, success is a lonely road. I don't believe of that in healthcare at all. I don't believe um, no. you can be successful by yourself in healthcare. I really believe the success of the patient is built on the foundation of the team. And I of think course. that every patient, even in an outpatient situation that maybe yeah. you've seen, you probably have a bit of a team and outpatients in some way where you're referring them to someone, right? Like it's not just always the one provider. And no. like you said, we got to take our egos out of it and not try to be everything yeah. to everyone yeah. sometimes. Of course, of course. Yeah. So tell me, uh, Dr. Usman, what is your unique gift to your profession? Putting you on the spot. Uh, unique gift? Um I'd like to think that I'm quite empathetic, um, listening. I'd like to listen, you know, um, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd like to think I can relate to them, empathetic and just, just feel I can listen to patients, you know, and yeah, just being caring really. Um, I think I've always had that, those qualities, um, you know, mum and dad being doctors. I mean, funny enough, if I look back now, I, th I think if I hadn't become a doctor, maybe I would have joined the police force because I was I was like the, the law and the police force thing maybe join the police force as a detective but I think my personality was always suited to to, to being a doctor or a healthcare provider of some sort as well yeah. um yeah that's beautiful and I was gonna say I would say definitely your empathy is in oh, thank what you. I probably, <laughs> and you know what I um what I think you said was so important there is that you've always been that way in a way yeah you know like when healthcare providers are assessing their value it's yeah. always been there it's something that's always been there and yeah. i think sometimes when we're so burnt out we we fail to to see that's, when yeah. when you start and, and with me when i start losing the empathy or when i'm starting to think oh go away um then i think there's something going on here but another you mentioned the quality I, I, like i've mentioned this before a big thing for me is treating everyone the same you know, everyone, you treat everyone the way you expect to be treated. Um, and it's that, you know, you, you speak to a, a homeless guy the way you, the same way you deal with a millionaire, you know, everyone should be dealt with this. And that's something I'm going to try to teach my kids as well. Uh, no one is more important than anyone. You know, you're not more important than me. I'm not more important than you. We're all the same. We're all human beings with two arms and two legs at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, and you know it's and that that keeps you know if you've got that attitude that keeps you grounded that keeps you that keeps you able to relate to patients and keeps you able to be empathetic with patients because you can understand their struggles you can try understand where they're coming from and if you can try understand where they're coming from it gives you a better chance of you know managing them a bit better from you know an illness point of view or 
or whatnot. Yeah, absolutely. And it's all like just staying humble throughout the whole journey. Of course. Um, yeah, is so important. Um, and I think that's where, that's why I've got into coaching clients and stuff who are struggling with burnout um, to focus more on their own self-awareness and self-understanding. I feel like, like you were touching upon basically um, kind of the emotional intelligence side of healthcare providers lacking. And yeah. I think that is where um, we need to kind of shift things a bit in training and even professional like training, like organizationally and things like that. I think that would be huge in how we communicate with each other and also with our patients. It would only help them even more. Of course. Um, so thank you so much for joining me this evening. Tell us yeah, where, really. yeah, tell us where um, our listeners can connect with you. Yeah, no, I've, I've, I've loved being on the show. I'd love to do this again. I'm bringing you on mine as well. So my podcast is the Dr. Us podcast. So that's the Dr. Us. So it's UZ podcast. Um, so it's available on Spotify, iTunes, YouTube and iHeartRadio, but the main things are Spotify and iTunes. It's also on YouTube as well. Um, we're about 17 episodes in, so I really focus on um, topics related to sports, health, just general everyday life. So the episodes are quite varied, really. You know, I've interviewed a few professional boxers, uh, other medical uh, colleagues as well. Um, done a few episodes. You know, for example, people that I've, I did an episode the other, uh, an interview the other day with an undercover police officer, so talking about the mental health issues from people who've been involved in crime, you know, as a criminal or people that have been involved in, you know, an undercover police officer work. So there's a wide range of episodes. We bring about two, three episodes a week uh, on social media. Um, so I'm on Instagram and Twitter, but the main thing I'm on Instagram and Facebook. So it's at Dr. Rose podcast. So at Dr. UZ podcast, at Dr. Rose podcast. So yeah, I, Jenna, I appreciate you having me on today and I'd love to do this again. Me too. I really appreciate you taking the, the extra time. To <laughs> I know it's past midnight over there. So until yeah. we chat again, which I know we will. Um, Definitely. I hope you have a good rest of the week. And thank you again so much. Okay. See you later, Ben. Take care of yourself. Yeah, you too. Bye-bye. So if you guys like this podcast, please subscribe and leave an honest review. Your feedback means everything to me. Your reviews are what moves this podcast forward, and I always appreciate receiving them. If you want to get a hold of me directly, reach out to me on social media. My handles are in the show notes. And you can always subscribe to my weekly newsletters at jenniferGeorge.co so that we can stay connected. So until next time, thank you guys so much again for your ongoing support support.